Welcome to the Messiah Podcast. We are so glad you tuned in today. Whether you are driving, doing chores, or taking a walk, we hope the Lord quiets your head and your heart to hear truth and be challenged through His Word. Without further ado, let's dive into the message. Good morning again. Uh, And good morning to our online viewers as well. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, We're going to be in Genesis again, Genesis chapter 44, carrying on with the story of Joseph and his brothers. So you can turn there, put a thumb in it, or you can just follow along with the screens. They'll be there. They'll be your friend as well, because we'll be jumping around a little bit. But I'd like to catch you up. Here's where we are. They could scarcely believe it. Judah and all his brothers, they were on their way back from their second trip to Egypt. And they were bedding down for the night in the city. And they were just amazed at what had happened. Simeon had been returned to them after having a stint in jail. They had their little brother Benjamin right there with them. His father had been so reluctant to let Benjamin go. It it took everything that Judah had to persuade his dad to let Benjamin come because otherwise Simeon was going to rot in prison and they weren't going to get any food. So finally, after some persuasion, he managed to get his brother to come. And even these many years later, that guilt surrounding Joseph and that whole slavery incident. It still left Judah with that pang of guilt. Even thinking about it, he knew that was like one of the biggest reasons that his father wasn't going to let Benjamin go because Joseph was no more. And who was Joseph no more because of? It was because of him. But now... They were making sure they had everything they needed. They were, they were loading up. They were getting their donkeys together. They got their grain. And then they just they kept packing up. And they're just, every so often, the brothers would just kind of laugh to themselves because they're just like, what? What just happened? Because that night, they had come into the city. And Zaphonath Penea's steward, the, the vice pharaoh, his steward, came and he's like, hey guys, you're invited to dinner at the vice pharaoh's house. Now, they were freaked out by this, mind you, because they thought they were going to be walking headlong into a trap. What happened the first time they'd gone down to Egypt was because when they, when they were on their way back home, they opened up their grain sacks. One of them was going to feed his donkey, and there was silver in the top of his grain sack. Their money had been returned, so they'd basically absconded with grain. They had stolen grain from the vice pharaoh, and so they thought they were walking into a trap. They're going to be enslaved, beheaded, something bad is going to happen. Far from it. The steward said, no, 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 I I received your money. We're good. And then they wined and dined with the vice pharaoh. The man himself, they sat down to dinner. And just before dinner, he'd run out of the room, but when he'd come back into the room, they had a feast unlike anything that they had had in recent memory, ever since the famine, for sure. And they were just enjoying this food. It was so 
amazing. The wine was flowing. And then little Benjamin, he got his plate. His eyes were as big as dinner plates, or at least as big as his dinner plate, because he had five times as much food as the rest of them. And so Judah, he's packing up his stuff. He draws one of the bags closed, and all of a sudden there's this huge belch from the corner. All the brothers stop, and they look over, and they see Benjamin. Excuse me, he says. And everybody laughs. They erupt in laughter. This is the funniest thing that had ever happened. I mean, finally, things were looking up for them. Finally, the brothers, they were going to be together. They're going to go home. They had food. Life is good. But then the next morning, everything changed. They got up with the sun. They were headed out. They had their donkeys. Everything was saddled. They had the grain. They're headed out of the city. Not five miles out of the city. They look back and they see someone on horseback just racing, racing toward them. And it turned out to be, as they got closer, it was Zaphonath Penea's steward. It was this guy. It was this guy who had invited them to dinner. And he, so he, they stop and the horse comes, skids to a stop right in front of them, and then the man dismounts, and he, he loads them with his accusation. I mean, they were just absolutely appalled at this accusation. And he says that they had stolen one of the vice pharaoh's very own cups right off the dinner table. And they were in disbelief. They said to him, Why does my Lord say such things? Far be it from your servants to do anything like that. We even brought back to you from the land of Canaan the silver we found inside the mouths of our sacks. So I would be steal silver or gold from your master's house. If any of your servants is found to have it, he will die, and the rest of us will become my Lord's slaves. Very well then, he said. Let it be as you say. Whoever is found to have it will become my slave. The rest of you will be free from blame. Each of them quickly lowered his sack to the ground. And opened it. Then the steward proceeded to search, beginning with the oldest and ending with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. At this, they tore their clothes, loaded their donkeys, and returned to the city. It turned out things weren't looking up after all. As they walked back with ripped articles of clothing hanging loosely around their shoulders, Judah thought back. He thought he was out of it. He thought he was gotten kind of free of this guilt, this problem. He was never, he was never going to live it down. Joseph, he had been a punk, for sure. He'd been a punk. Very much, very obvious the favorite of his dad. He gave me the coat, and he was just yucking it up with the dreams and everything, but it wasn't an excuse. They'd gotten carried away. They just had so much hate. They wanted to murder him. They were, they were that close. And they were about to, and then Reuben had the idea, let's throw him into the pit. And we all thought, oh, that's a good idea. Throw him into the pit. So they threw him in the pit. But then Judah ran a hand through his hair. He'd been the one who'd come up with the idea to sell Joseph as a slave to those tra passing traders. His own words echoed in his mind just then, as they'd echoed in his mind so many times. 
What will we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. When all is said and done, they'd gotten half a pound of silver for him. Half a pound for their own brother. That's why they thought everything had happened like it had. They were hungry in Canaan. The famine had come. And when they heard it was grain in Egypt, they'd headed south. Stood before the same man, Zaphonath Paneah, vice pharaoh. They'd barely gotten up from prostrating themselves before him. When they got up and he accused them of being spies, being liars, and all sorts of things. I mean, just terrible things he was leveling at them. And so he, they just, to prove their innocence, they just told him everything. We have, a, we have a father back in Canaan where your servants are just from Canaan. We just came. We want some food. We have a younger brother. It's Benjamin. He's back at home with our dad. And no matter what they did, no matter what they had, he, did, he wasn't convinced by any of the story. He just was convinced. You guys are, are liars. You guys are spies. And so he threw them in, in prison. Prison for three days. Then three days later, very curiously, he opened it up, the prison doors, and he says, I'll let you go back home to Egypt with a sack full of grain with two things. Provided two things happen. Number one, you leave one of your brothers behind. Number two, if you want to come back here, you have to bring your, old, your youngest brother. So hearts heavy, they returned home. And along the way, that's when they found out that the money had been returned into the mouths of their sacks. And they freaked out because they'd just barely gotten out of Egypt and now they had to go back having stolen, possibly, from this man who'd thrown them in prison. And they were convinced that God was still punishing them for the past, for everything that they'd done to Joseph. They knew this was probably something that had to do with that. And initially, when they got back home and told their dad the whole story, that Benjamin wasn't coming along. Their dad was like, no, absolutely not. He is not coming. Simeon's gone. I'm not going to lose Benjamin too. And that's when Judah, he stepped up. The, fam, next, the, the, the food ran out and they were saying, we got to go. And dad was saying, no, absolutely not. And Judah said, send the boy along with me and we'll go at once so that we and our children may live and not die. I myself will guarantee his safety. You can hold me personally responsible for him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him here before you, I'll bear the blame before you all my life. As it is, if we had not delayed, we could have gone and returned twice. And with that, Judah had finally convinced his dad to let them go and bring Benjamin. But now here he was. His father's life is on the line. He knows that if he doesn't come back with Benjamin, his dad's going to pass away from grief. He wasn't about to let Benjamin be taken. And once again, that memory of Joseph being bound and led behind a caravan of camels off into the distance came flashing into his mind. Not this time. If anybody is going to slavery, it is going to be me. Looking down at verse 14. Joseph was still in the house when Judah and his brothers came in, and they threw themselves to the ground before him. Joseph said to them, 
What is this you've done? Don't you know that a man like me can find out things by divination? What can we say, my Lord? Judah replied. What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my Lord's slaves. We ourselves are the one who was found to have the cup. But Joseph said, Far be it from me to do such a thing. Only the man who was found to have the cup will become my slave. The rest of you, go back to your father in peace. Then Judah went up to him and said, Pardon your servant, my Lord. Let me speak a word to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant, though you were equal to Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servants, Do you have a father or a brother? And we answered, We have an aged father, and there is a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead, and he is the only one of his mother's sons left, and his father loves him. So now if the boy is not with us, verse 30, when I go back to your servant, my father, and if my father, whose life is closely bound up to the boy's life, sees that the boy isn't there, he will die. Your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow, Your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I do not bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. Now then, please, let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy and let the boy return with his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, Do not let me see the misery that would come on my father. Man. Oh, you got to love the dramatic irony of this moment. Because who is he talking to? Who is Judah clinging to the robe of right now, begging to be taken in the place of his brother? He's talking to Joseph. And he doesn't know it. Joseph would have heard Judah come up with that plan. He would have been right down there in the pit and off in the distance, just a little bit above him, would have heard those words coming out of his mouth. Why kill our brother? Why don't we just sell him as a slave? He would have heard that. Judah's own words, to his own mouth. And he'd been one of the faces that he would have last seen, one of the last faces of his family, last faces of his brothers that he'd seen before he'd been bound and led behind a caravan of camels off to slavery too. He knew not where. Judah was the one responsible for 13 years of agony and isolation. Judah and all the rest of his brothers who had sold him off into slavery. And now, that brother is on his knees. And he's begging, take me instead. What an amazing echo. This is an incredible story. I love this story. It is one of the most incredible stories in the entire Bible. And it's a story of of transformation and reconciliation and healing. But it's a story that echoes the name of Jesus. Jesus said, Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. And you see that demonstrated right here by Jesus' own great-grandfather, You've heard the phrase before, perhaps, that Jesus is, a, is the lion of the tribe of Judah. Jesus is descended from this man. 
This man who made so many mistakes, this man who intentionally, maliciously sold his brother to, eat, to, to, to slave traders, this man who is now begging for his brother Benjamin to be set free. Jesus is descended from him. And in this beautiful moment of reversal and transformation, Judah looks the most like his grandson Jesus that he ever will. I think it's incredible. This entire story whispers the name of Jesus over and over again. We've seen that. We've seen that when Joseph is in the midst of the prison. He's the one who suffers with us. And he knows, like Jesus is the one who's in our prison cells with us. He knows those, that, that environment. He knows what it's like to be crucified and put to death and then raised to life again. We know those Easter days, knows those Easter experiences, those Good Friday experiences. And just like Jacob in this story, who could not part with his youngest son, who had such trouble parting with Benjamin, so also God. You think of this. God the Father is unwilling to let his children continue as slaves to sin and to darkness. And just like Judah, Jesus came and offered himself in our place. Rather than than abandon us as slaves to sin, Jesus would step into our place on the cross taking our sin on his body and nailing it to death. Jesus bore the ultimate price for our freedom and for our forgiveness. He paid with his body and with his life. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Are you aware of how loved you are by God? Because this story speaks to it. And the gospel is one of those messages that's like, yeah, I, I understand, you know, yeah, God loves me. Or perhaps for, for some of us in the room, and I was praying, I'm praying for the one, the one person in the room today that says, I don't know if this is true. I'm reminded again this week of how easily distractible, distractible we are from God's love. How easily we can persuade ourselves that the love of God is not uh, for me. Or I don't need God's love. Because idolatry, that's when good things become God things. We can look to them for ultimate satisfaction, for a sense of worth, for a sense of, of belonging, for a sense of enoughness, for security but we don't know the meaning of those things apart from finding it in God. St. Augustine had said these famous words, our hearts are restless until they rest in you. But friend, God loves you. His love is enough. It is satisfying. It is security. And Psalm 8 just wonders aloud. He says, What is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. The Bible has, says like the span of our lives is like a, like a flower that's here today and then it's gone tomorrow. Our lives are like the grass of the field. It just kind of springs up and then it goes. And in the book of Job, Elihu wonders the very same thing. He says, Look at the, up at the heavens and see. Gaze at the clouds so high above you. If you sin, how does that affect God? If your sins are many, what does that do to him? If you're righteous, 
What do you give to him? Or what has he received from your hand? Your wickedness only affects humans like yourself and your righteousness only other people. You see, you see what he's saying? That God, he's so other. God is so grand. He is so vast. He is so big. That anything that we do, anything that we say, anything that we become, that we do to each other, it's just, it's just ants on a hill. What does God care? What we do. How we act. How we behave. He's God. He's beyond everything. He's above it all. He's the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning and the end. He is before all things and in Him all things hold together. Who is man that He is mindful of us? The Son of Man that He cares for us. But that's what the Bible also reveals. That that God, this vast God, so grand, so big, It says that he cannot bear to be without us. That our absence is agony. And just like Jacob who, who looked at his beloved son Benjamin and said, I cannot bear to part with him. Do not let him come. Don't come back to me if you are not also bringing Benjamin. Because I will die in sorrow if that happens. That is the posture. That is the heart of God. Also the Lord, God from eternity, think of this, He would rather die than not get His children back. He would rather die than not get you back to be with Him. And that's really what He did, didn't He? Think back to the parables that Jesus tells about the lost sheep, coin, and son. He says, you want to know what God's like? Do you want to know what he's like? I'll tell you what he's like. I'll tell you that he's like a shepherd that leaves 99 sheep and he goes off looking for that one. He does not rest. He does not pause. He is searching every, every hill, every valley, every thicket, every bramble. And he's finding that sheep because he cannot stand to be without the one. And then he finally finds that sheep and he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and he goes back home rejoicing. He's like a woman who has lost a coin and he cannot, she can't find that thing. It's nowhere to be found. She's turning over cushions. She's destroying her house in the pursuit of one single coin. And she finds that coin and she rejoices because she found the coin. And then he says that your, that your father in heaven, he is like a father of two sons. The youngest son said to his father, said, give me all my, give me all my inheritance. I'm out of here. And he parts with that son, though it breaks his heart in two. But that father, he does not stand on the porch of that house looking and scanning the horizon in anger, seething, frustrated, and pain. He looks in pain, but not with anger in his heart. He looks in pain because he seeks that which is lost. Scanning the horizon to see if there's any movement, any detection, any shadow of his son who might finally one day come home. And when he does see that son return, he says, he, he, he gets up off the porch that he'd been standing at, keeping vigil for many, many years, many, many days, and he sprints, he sprints down the, down the driveway, through the grass, over the hedge, and he grabs his son in a huge bear hug and kisses him upside one side, down the other. And he just loves him and says, rejoice with me, my son is, was lost, and now he's found. This is the love of God. This is the love of God for you. 
that God is hopelessly, helplessly, madly in love with you and he will not rest until he has you in his life. 1 John 3 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid his life down for us and we also ought to lay our lives down for our brothers and sisters. You see the story of Judah? It's a story for all of us. Maybe you have lived for years like Judah had with guilt and shame Sorrow is wrecking your heart. Echoes of words said. Visions passing through your mind over and over again. But in Jesus Christ, the Father embraces you today. The Father wraps His arms around you. He says, I forgive you of all that you've done, of all that you've ever done. I've demonstrated my own love for you in this, that I sent my son to die in your place. He took your place. Jesus Christ, if you can picture that, says, send me instead. I'll take their place so they can come back home with you. Take me instead. That is the word of Christ on your behalf. Today he wants to forgive you and release you of of guilt, of shame, stories you've told yourself, of words you've said and you can't take back, of actions you've done and you can't take back. Jesus wants to release you and free you of those things today. He's taken your place. He's laid his life down. He's made you free. And you can go home to your Father. I pray that you experience that love and that joy today by the Holy Spirit afresh and maybe even for the very first time. Let me pray for you. Dear Lord God, your love is so great. You are so great. You're so big that out of your mouth the the universe was created. In him are all things and in him are all, all things hold together. But that same God, you, Lord, love each and every single one of us. And you know intimately each and every single story. And just like Jacob couldn't bear to be without Benjamin. You cannot bear to be without us. Thank you, sir, for sending Jesus, the Lion of Judah, to take our place so that we can go home with you. And Lord Jesus, I just pray that if there is someone in the room today that needs to hear that good news and wants to receive that good news, We can pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, forgive me of my sins. I want to have new life with you. Take me home to the Father.
I love you and I'm sorry. Thank you for what you've done for me. Amen. Thank you for tuning in today. We hope you are challenged and encouraged to walk in truth in your everyday. Please share with friends and family, and we can't wait to have you next time on the Messiah Podcast.